Welcome everyone to the first episode of Green Talks. This podcast is an initiative of GreenHub Twente aimed at sharing perspectives of researchers from the University of Twente and their sustainable research progress to a wider audience. I'm Thomas Setchey, your host for today's episode, but also a GreenHub officer responsible for the research and education portfolio. Our organization, GreenHub Twente, was established in 2020 by the UT to facilitate sustainable initiatives such as events or by giving voice to UT activists and stakeholders, but also to reflect on the progress of shaping 2030. We believe that more attention should be given to the sustainable impact UT researchers and professors make, and will make with many of their projects running and in development. That's why we made this podcast for you, knowledge seekers, living in the change of era. Now please lay back and enjoy our very first episode. Today we are honored by the presence of Professor Jurian Schmitz who has just celebrated 17 days ago the 20th anniversary of the start of his teaching at the UT in the Faculty of Electrical Engineering, Mathematics and Computer Science. Holding a record of over 220 journals and conference papers, 18 patents and three book chapters, leading a research group of 30 people and supervising PhD students makes me wonder how he even found time to talk with us. Welcome, Professor Urian. Thank you very much, Thomas. As you said in your introduction, your roots go back to Amsterdam, where you studied physics and did PhD research at the Nikhef Institute, dealing with radiation detectors for the Large Hadron Collider. Cool. Could you please explain what exactly you did there? Well, I did a lot in Amsterdam. For my, Let's focus on my PhD for now. It was, uh, it was a great time. I started working at Nikhef also as a master student for my final project so i did my msc final project there and there we started to play with new types of radiation detectors uh, there was an invention just recently from another institute where they showed that they could miniaturize radiation detectors and um, we wanted to uh, develop that concept further so we made a lot of uh, experiments with um, how to say prototype detectors and um, not just uh, doing radiation detection experiments, but in the, uh, uh, over time I also started to work on a Monte Carlo simulation of the same detector yeah. so that we could um, also try to understand a little bit our measurements uh, by theoretical support. That's very nice. I also learned some Monte Carlo simulations, so I, I can relate to that. Okay. But uh, after graduation, you joined the Philips Research Center in Eindhoven, right? Working in the Naturkundig Laboratorium or NatLab, for me, which is easier to say, <laughs> for eight years in a research and development program for microchips. How do you remember those years? It was a big change. Um, I remember my professor, he was not too amused that I decided to go to industry after my PhD. He said, that will be the end of your academic career. <laughs> <laughs> Turned out a bit different from that. But um, yeah, he was kind of disappointed. He was hoping I would continue in particle physics uh, help him find these Higgs bosons and other th other stuff that we wanted to do at the Large Hadron Collider. Uh, whereas I had the feeling that in particle physics, big discoveries had been done. There were some uh, open questions left, but not enough for a career in physics. That was my feeling. So I was looking in a little bit more broad sense. What can I do uh, and where should I go next? 
And actually, well, my wife was uh, still studying in Amsterdam and it was difficult to go abroad at that time. So then uh, an opportunity at Philips Research was really attractive to me. We could stay in the country. She could continue her studies here. And um, so we could be together and I could further develop as a scientist. I understand. And see what? Then in 2002, you took a major leap of faith and joined the UT as a professor after being in the industry. And it turns out that recently you were named as the best electrical engineering professor in the UT, especially for your efforts put into online lectures, which must be even more challenging, I think. So congratulations, professor, for getting here. And uh, tell us, how do you feel about this? Uh, why do you think the student chose you as their favorite? Yeah, it was, for me, it was a huge surprise, first of all. Um, I was happy to be uh, selected as a candidate for this award, uh, but I also heard quite quickly who the other candidates were, and they are a very fierce competition. So as I heard my contenders, I thought, forget it. <laughs> <laughs> so I was, I was extra uh, shocked and pleased to hear that I had actually won. Uh, the theme of this year was uh, a personal touch. So uh, they decided to go for a teacher who uh, put a personal touch in his teaching. Um, I'm not entirely sure why they chose me, but I think yeah, it has to do with um, the care that I took uh, in the COVID uh, period uh, to make sure that we kept students on board. Uh, we were very worried. I think all teachers were very worried about uh, student uh, mental health or uh, how they felt in that period and people uh, getting isolated by all these lockdowns. Uh, so we, we did several e extra efforts to make sure that they remained on board, remained motivated to study uh, and to participate in our activities. Uh, it was difficult times uh, for students and teachers. Also for a teacher, if you don't have personal contact with your students, uh, that also pulls out some of your motivation to do your work. So it was hard yeah. times. For I, all I can it. totally understand. I still remember those times as well. But uh, since you joined the UT, you also led a research group. You were the head of the electrical engineering department, uh, the head of the EE exam committee, but that wasn't enough for you. So you picked up tasks at the owner's office and initiated a minor program in energy transition which we're going to be talking about later on as well. Then a few years ago, you moved away from microchips toward photovoltaics, right? Especially semiconductor components and solar cells. Yes, those solar cells that you see in solar panels. But now before, you go, before we go into your extremely sustainable efforts, I want to kick off with a question. What is your most unsustainable guilty pleasure as of now? Ooh, okay. I would have to quantify that in CO2 emissions, I guess. Uh, that's a difficult one. I didn't expect that question at all. <laughs> I, I, I realized that um, I use Google searches a lot. Really, when I'm working, I use Google searches maybe 10 or 20 times an hour or so. Because, uh, I, yeah, I want to find information quickly. I'm, I'm looking for good pictures to support my story when I'm... Uh, yeah, working on a, a new lecture. So I do a lot of that and I realize that Google searches are very energy hungry. I believe they yeah, they consume as much as an uh, old-fashioned light, light bulb or something. Mm -hmm. So it's not too good. Uh, but 
really I can be so effective in my work. It, things go so quickly when you still do that. Um, maybe guilty pleasure is not the best word for it, but it really works for me. Yeah, now we see how uh, conscious you are with, with your work and what you do regarding the environment. So that's great. And that's why I also want you to describe what is sustainable change for you um, to our students and uh, researchers and the general public so they also understand. Yeah. I believe if, if we talk about sustainability, we think about ways of working, ways of doing things um, that do not plunder the earth. And right now, we're not doing a very good job at that. We don't manage to do things in such a way that the earth is not being scavenged uh, to pieces. So we're digging up too much minerals. Uh, we're destroying nature, especially uh, life forms, in a very rapid pace. And um, it's not that we want to do that, but it's just uh, our habits. If you add all our habits up, this is what happens. And... Well, like the Google search, I think is a very nice example of something that um, you do without seriously considering the consequences. There is no way in which you can feel the effect of the of the act itself. And the same goes for flying, and the same goes for driving a car. And many things we do uh, when we buy vegetables in the in the shop. Do we buy vegetables that are uh, wrapped in plastic or not? Stuff like that. It's as if uh, it makes no difference. Many things we do, we don't see the difference. So we need to really think about that. And yeah, many people worldwide don't have even the means to make all these considerations carefully. You mentioned flying. So getting getting back to flying, you had a lecture a few months ago, right? That where you were talking about that you stopped flying, whereas years ago you were flying a lot. So um What changed your mind? I mean, you, you talked about sustainable change, but uh, what what changed really in your mind and how do you keep yourself committed to this? Yes, many questions. Um, I, I flew a lot when I thought it was necessary to do my job properly. And um, basically, um, it's a matter of priming. It's uh, You share the beliefs that the people around you have um, the beliefs of your boss that tells you to go somewhere uh, because it's good for this or that, um, the beliefs of uh, the other people that you meet at conferences that you should come back next year, things like that. Um, and it's very easy to just go with the flow and um, yeah, participate in that set of beliefs. It's less easy when you start to challenge those beliefs and you think, can I do it differently? Uh, so there comes indeed a hard part. It's uh, it's not so difficult to decide to uh, cancel a trip or to avoid a trip, uh, but to be persistent in that is more difficult when your colleagues uh, start asking you, when do we meet again? We should discuss something. Uh, where shall we go? Are you coming to this or that conference? Then we can meet easily. Then I have time. Uh, then it comes, becomes difficult to actually respond to that and um, stick to your beliefs and uh, not fly. Yeah, I understand. And you're also trying to challenge students with uh, mobilizing them for, for change, as you say, in, uh, in your courses as well. So in your experience, what is the best way to mobilize the UT community? Think about students, researchers and everyone for this kind of sustainable change that you also did yourself. 
Yeah, I think um, at the University of Twente, we are all very fond of facts and data. And I, I think this is a, a great means uh, to create a common understanding of the situation of today and also uh, to create a common goal uh, to change for the better. So uh, what we try to do in our educational program in the minor energy transition perspectives is uh, share the information we have as much as we can. And for that, I'm extremely grateful. There are 25 teachers from the UT, from all five faculties, uh, that all share their views uh, to this group of students in a period of 10 weeks. So it's a bit overwhelming for the students. Mm -hmm. But in the end, um, it works because there are people that know a lot about raw materials, people that know everything about the IPCC, uh, people that know a lot about uh, change processes in organizations. And if you, if you add all that together, you get a very clear overview of what's going on and also uh, which efforts fail, which efforts succeed and, and why that is. So I hope um, it works not just only as informing our students uh, what's happening and what can we do, but also to empower them to make a change if they want to. Yeah. And of course, it's always, it remains the student's decision if they want to change, if they want to behave differently in the future. Uh, so I, we don't want to impose anything on them, but what we can do is inform them and, and help them find their way in, in information. Nice. Well, this minor just started recently, so unfortunately, people who are interested, like myself, I cannot apply anymore. But there is also another um, course coming up, right, next year at the same time in November for for the second um, um, quarter of Correct. the academic year. Yes. So what are exactly those tools that you use to mobilize students and what do you feel like is lacking so you talked about your minor, but if, if you want to have also a greater impact on the UT, what do you feel like is, is lacking in general? Well, I first of all, let's look at what is there. I think a lot of people share the concern that the environment, uh, especially life forms, are suffering enormously right now, and we need to uh, bring that to a halt one way or another, um, give more room to nature, uh, to recover from the damage caused by human activity. And um, a lot of people know this, they are very aware of it, they read the news, uh, but they feel very helpless in uh, uh, creating a, a motion in the right direction. So uh, there is a lot of drive and motivation, um, but many people don't know exactly what to do or how can they contribute. And actually, because the problem is so big, it's also, even if you do something, um, it's difficult to be satisfied with what you do because it will always be a very small step in the right direction. So when is the step big enough? Um, now, what is missing here, you ask me? I think, um, I think sustainability can be a bit higher on the agenda. And um, maybe uh, we need more... Um, orchestration in uh, pushing sustainability as a theme forward at the university. Uh, I know that there is a special department for that, but if you make a special department, department, the risk is always that other managers will say, we don't have to think about that because we have the special department. Yeah, so... Um, exactly, I, I totally understand your point. Yeah. 
So that maybe people from that special department could be interesting uh, guests for your podcast as well. Exactly, and that's also why why it's good to mention that Green Hub is also here to to push those managers still who think that we are here to to make the change ourselves, whereas change can only be made in a collective. So that that's also what we as as Green Hub stand for. Now you also have courses called as Global Perspectives, where you talk about. Um, roles and responsibilities and also how we can we can make this change now i want to focus a bit on the roles as researchers should do and in the context of the university especially the vision of shaping 2030 so what roles should researchers have to help us students and the university achieve the vision that was set for shaping 2030 well what i really uh, liked about the uh, vision is that we want to see sustainability as a core value uh, that is a starting point for the decisions that we make uh, and particularly uh, the, uh, the vision that we would like to be carbon neutral in 2030. Um, when you combine these two elements together and you try to um, judge uh, your decisions uh, against those values, uh, you can make a big change. I think every researcher can make a big change if they, every time they make a decision, they also decide, okay, how does that impact, um, uh, especially how does that impact CO2 performance of this university? And can I do better by making another choice? So, um, yeah, it's difficult because visions are always very high level and you have to somehow descend them down to uh, practical, practical things and um, operational ideas. So I think that that part, we still need to think about that more. How do we make operational these grand visions that we see in Shaping 2030? And how do you see that maybe your subject, uh, global perspectives, connect to this? And how, how are you trying to, to challenge the students to do the same? Um, <laughs> The, um, I think the global perspective that we are bringing to the students is really about informing them. And it's mostly uh, conducted by, uh, by teachers from the ITC department. Uh, they know a lot about what goes on in the rest of the world. Uh, they have also great tools at hand uh, to support uh, information gathering and analysis. So uh, they take care of that part. Um, and this helps our students to understand what what needs to be done, uh, not just here or in their homes or in their families or in their lifestyle, but also to understand um, that energy transition has a very different meaning and connotation in different parts of the world. And that also means uh, for your future career or your uh, decisions, what to do, what not to do, um, it might be that you can start up a company that will have enormous effect in other places of the world, uh, with a new product that you're trying to launch. And if you have a global perspective, you will know which markets will benefit most from uh, what you're developing. So in that way, yeah, it's again a form of empowerment of our students, not um, in their role of student, but even more in their role of professional after they finish their studies. I see. And uh, how do you see your role in, uh, as, as a researcher and your responsibility compared to your peers of what, what they are perhaps doing? 
Well, yeah, I I noticed that uh, right now I have the freedom to make this move to start um, start new educational programs on energy transition, to divert my work from microchips towards photovoltaics, and many researchers don't have that freedom to just drop everything and start something new. So um, I can make a quick and and rather uh, bold move right now, and uh, I think it's great that. The opportunity is there that the university allows me to make such a shift. Um, and um, I hope that other researchers, uh, when they see the opportunity, they can do something similar. But I realize that it's, this is not for everyone. Some people are just uh, bound to their projects or their uh, assignment in their work uh, to stick to what they're doing. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I, I can make a big step uh, and I can... Uh, help the university shift a very little bit I- into the direction of uh, yeah, sustainable development by my own contribution. Yeah, I understand. So now, now it's good that we, we're coming to the researchers because um, we are going to be talking about them throughout the whole series of this podcast and especially of how they are perceived. So like you mentioned, some researchers are more focused into their projects, whereas you are someone who is taking bold moves because the university allows this flexibility. But even before that, you have been very active and visible outside of the university. So you are also right now part of uh, Scientists for Future. You are part of many boards and associations. So um, which board exactly are you now currently part of? I know that there are also some nationwide boards. Yes, correct. Um, I've been a member of the SAFE board for a very long time. This is... uh, Semiconductor Advances for Future Electronics. But as I moved from uh, electronics to photovoltaics, I just decided to drop that little uh, task of mine. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I'm Scientist for Future is right now a very important board for me uh, to share thoughts, to, to spar with um, like-minded people, to think about what should be done, what can we done, what can we do, how can we accelerate uh, the um, ideas Uh, that are written in shaping 2030 and perhaps also other ideas because we see that if people talk about 2030 they think it's far away but some things we want to have done by then we can also do today or next week and then why wait so um yeah but you asked me about what kind of boards i'm involved in uh i'm in uh uh, i'm involved in a few journals scientific journals uh, so those are international boards Otherwise, nationally, I'm only right now. I'm only involved in the Solliance Consortium, which is a consortium that works on uh, solar uh, technology, so photovoltaics, I should say. Yeah, that's that's pretty amazing as well. And um, what what benefits do you see that you actually get out of these boards? The uh, Solliance board is great because uh, it helps uh, researchers to work together easily. We have kind of a working agreement. So if I want to work together with somebody from another organization, uh, we don't have to go through the hassle of signing non-disclosure agreements or making contracts about how do we share our inter- information, what do we do if we want to publish, uh, what do we do if we want to write a patent, and so on. And this is all covered, so that gives us complete freedom to walk into each other's office and talk about everything we want. Uh, and that's nice. Scientists like freedom and like not to be con- yeah, concerned about this kind of uh, more organizational matters. I can understand. So you probably advise this to also your peers. Do you, do you talk talk to them about the events, the boards that you are in? Yes. 
Okay, that, that's great, and it's great to hear. Now, perhaps it's time to get to a new topic. So in the beginning, uh, we mentioned renewable technologies, renewable energy especially. So I would like to hear about, because you are, you have, you are co-working in a um, energy, so you have the energy transition minor, but you have also other courses that you are in as a professor for, for energy. And uh, I was wondering that within these courses, is it centered around more practical solutions or just focusing on rather the, the theoretical understanding? Yes, it's. Uh, I think you need both in practice. So uh, there are two courses that I'm involved in. One is solar energy. And there we really talk uh, about the fundamentals of uh, the semiconductor to explain how, how come that you shine light on a material and suddenly electrical power comes out of it, which is kind of magic. Most materials don't do that. It's just semiconductors that have this behavior. So why is that? So we need to understand the fundamentals. Why? If we don't understand what the theory is behind it, if we don't understand the mechanisms, we also cannot improve the system. Uh, we would like to have very high efficiency, a lot of power from little sunlight, and maybe also sun, uh, some power when there is uh, shades or uh, clouds. For that, we need to know what goes on inside. So we, we do start with fundamental theory. Uh, the same in the course renewable energy technologies. We need to explain very carefully how um, the energy conversion process goes, how the thermodynamics rule that, and uh, which type of cycles we can use, and what is then the efficiency limit of the, such a cycle. In the end, uh, y- you need to apply this theory to make something work, and then a lot more comes into play, like which materials do you use? Are they actually available? How price are they? incredibly expensive or cheap um, uh, where do you get your materials from uh, lots of technical details like um, also wear out degradation problems we look at uh, if you build a, a nuclear power plant you would like to have it run for a hundred years because taking it apart is a disaster there's a lot of radioactivity coming loose so you'd like to actually build one for eternity and then you solve one big problem so things like that, um, uh, many, many practical and engineering problems uh, come into play when you want to work with these energy technologies and use them for the better. I think we need to have a very good mix of that because we are training engineers at this university. We are not training um, theoretical scientists only. We might train some, but in general, a lot of the people that we train here will do engineering work in the future. Indeed, and that's that's I think a great strength of our university as well, and no wonder why students feel inspired to take on this minor with with all this um, impact you can have on on the future as well. So I would like to ask you now to give us some takeaway message because we have been through so many topics, so many interesting insights. So what would be your advice? And how would you um, help people or give give advice on their sustainable change? Well, if you're curious about sustainability and if your passion connects to it, I would definitely advise to become a member of Scientists for Future or Students for Future or perhaps both um, because it gives you access to a lot of like-minded people and a lot of information on what goes on and what 
can we do together? Um, Green Hub is a very interesting connection, of course, for our students to uh, to see more about this. Um, what else can I advise people? Um, make sure you read good information. Uh, study good information. Make sure uh, we try to teach our students how to separate good from bad information. It's really critical. And there's so much rubbish being broadcast about the topic of sustainability that it's very difficult to uh, develop a critical view uh, by yourself. So, um, yeah, my advice is connect to other people and um, yeah, study the matter to learn more uh, good facts. Wonderful. Thank you, Professor Yurian. It has been a pleasure to talk to you regarding these subjects. And uh, please stay in tune because we will have a second episode following as well with Nando Tulbum, and we will focus a bit more on energy transition and especially the current, the very current actions of um, energy crisis and how does it affect us as students and also the researchers. Thank you again for joining our very first episode. Goodbye. Thank you. Thank you.